13 years, $330 million. That's only marginally less than I make it for doing this show. Only marginally, but pretty if close. Only. But pretty close. If only. Welcome to episode six of the Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast, the podcast of two unqualified idiots rambling on sports topics they likely know nothing about for an indeterminate timeline in a hastily thrown together format. Brought to us this week by CompuServe Bulletin Board. My name is Carlos Alcazar, and with me as always is my co-host, Dave Turnbull. And I love the fact that you keep getting these references, Carlos. It's it's a thing of beauty. Listen, if you need internet references from circa 94, 95, 96, I'm your guy. At what point do we get to the uh, Al Gore inventing the internet reference? Listen, Al Gore and I had discussions back then. It was all about the tubes. It's kind of complicated. I don't want to explain it to you right now. And he didn't take some of my earlier ideas because I could have prevented Twitter. I'm just saying I could have stopped it before we ended up where we are right now. I wish somebody had. Yep. If they had just listened to my ideas, we'd be fine. So anyway, I'm going to uh, briefly explain kind of what we're going to do. So this week on the program, we're going to talk about week three in the Alliance of American Football, kind of our thoughts, and also look what we're looking forward to in week four, as well as we're going to be talking about the Nolan Arenado extension. Nolan gets paid. And then our long national nightmare ends as Bryce Harper has finally signed with someone for Mega Millions and cashed in his ticket. And of course, Johnny Menzel is excommunicated from Canada. And Dave is going to talk about something vaguely related to soccer that probably three people care about. And it's going to be fantastic for those three people. Those three people are going to be thrilled. We will get letters. They won't know where to send them, but we will get those letters. They'll try the telegram and maybe it'll end up on the bulletin board. Who knows? So right off the top, we're going to start off with week three of the Alliance of American Football. This is where I'll shamelessly plug our YouTube channel. If you're listening on the channel, then you already know it's there. Otherwise, we'll plug the actual address at the end of the podcast. But if you do end up checking it out, uh, right now what I've been doing the last couple of weeks and what I'm going to do into week four and week five, and we'll kind of take it week by week as it goes, is I do a recap of the games, talk about the scores, of course, but you can get that anywhere. But I'll also kind of talk about my thoughts of each one. We're always going to do that on the podcast as well. We've got a little segment for it, but this is more extensive, like early thoughts that I'll try to get up on either Monday or Tuesday after the games are over. And then we'll have kind of our collective thoughts on the podcast at the end of the week. So if you don't want to wait, that's a spot where you can get a little bit of background of where my head's at right after the games are over. So as far as week three in the Alliance of American Football is concerned, Mr. Trimble, do you want to give a couple of your thoughts of what you saw or didn't see? The one thing I'm thinking is great is that these games keep getting better. Like one of the things we talked about at the beginning when we were first talking about the AAF, one of the first people I think on a podcast to really be talking about it at length, I might add, is, you know, what's the quality of the games going to be like? What is the football actually going to be like? And I'm pleasantly surprised and it's getting better. So the first week I was kind of, eh, I don't know. But as we've moved along, I feel it's gotten progressively better each week. The Orlando Apollos keep winning. So I'm, I'm happy. I'm enjoying it. And I like what I see. One of the themes that I harped on during my video, and I won't go into that extensively, is I want to see progression. I'm treating it like a developmental league. I'm not treating it as a quote-unquote alternative to the NFL because that's not fair. The NFL has the budget that they can't compete with, and I don't expect the same, but I want to see progression. That's really why. Well, and the, the league wants it to be – like I mean that's what the league's saying too, right? The league is basically saying the exact same thing that you just said. It isn't a competition to the NFL. It's designed to develop players. And I think unless you're uh, – was it Mettenberger? Mettenberger, uh, you're thinking of th – Mettenberger is the one who took over. Oh, he's the one who took over. The one, over. So the one you think of is Hackenberg. Yeah. So unless you're Hackenberg, the league is developing players. Yes. The Memphis game is one that I'd spent a little bit of time talking about. But Christian Hackenberg is someone who was a name for people. He was a high draft pick at one point or reasonably high draft pick at one point. But he just has shown no real improvement. I don't know why Mike Singletary kept trotting him out there, but he just looked progressively worse and it, it didn't seem to improve at all. Menberger came in there and immediately they went from two and a half games with zero touchdowns 
from a quarterback position, and they scored 17 points in the second half and almost came back and won the game. Like, they were in position to actually be competitive in that game. And with a full week, and Medenberger's already been named the starter for week four, so with a full week of reps, you know, trying to actually integrate an offense, Memphis might be competent because their defense has already been reasonably good, all things considered. So that's a good thing for them. Anything else uh, stuck out to you as far as a week three? Any standouts? No, I wouldn't say anything anything particular. Just the, like I said, just the quality of the games and the fact that the quality of games is getting better. Fair enough. One uh, final note I'll make that I did talk about. I alluded to it a little bit in my recap, but I'll talk about it here as well. I'm very much enjoying Trent Richardson. Trent Richardson is brilliant. I like his social media presence. Like he's savvy. I'm following him on the different social medias. He's working on a. He's he's doing a podcast. He's been very good on uh, Instagram doing stories. Like he's integrating. He's bringing people in. He's becoming very much the big social media star of this league. And I've been very impressed with that. But at the same time, uh, one thing that I mentioned that I want to see from Birmingham, they're undefeated, the 3-0 and going into the fourth game. But what I want to see from them is he's got six rushing touchdowns in three weeks, which is extremely impressive. He's averaging two and a half yards a carry. That's also impressive. I'm not sure how the two equate and how they work together, but it's been impressive. Yeah, impressive for the wrong reasons, right? Yeah. At least he's getting it done when he's getting in the position to be able to take the ball in, which is good. You want that. But uh, my thoughts about going into week four, my my main thesis behind it is you could very well see uh, Memphis... not regress. Regress is the wrong word. If they don't put together an actual offense that can generate something more than that, Luis Perez needs to play better. He actually didn't play very well in the last game. So we're talking Birmingham now. You, we're you talking Birmingham ex- ex- specifically. Okay. If they cannot, com- if uh, they can't get more than two and a half yards of carry out, out of Trent Richardson, and if Luis Perez can't actually gener- start generating real offense, he showed potential in the first two weeks. This past week, he was trying to throw the ball into through interceptions. He was trying his best to throw interceptions. Well, I think we're going to see that this week because Birmingham's playing Orlando, right? So here are the games. I'll give them to you right now. On the Saturday, you're going to have the San Diego Fleet, who looked a lot better in Week 3. I liked what I saw from them taking on Memphis. So that could be an interesting and a potential technically for an upset because, like I said, I like Memphis with Mettenberger a lot better. But I also really like what San Diego did this past week. Orlando is going to be taking on the Salt Lake Stallions. Okay, Salt Lake. Yeah, Sorry. so your guys are going to have to watch out. I want to make sure I get this name right. It's Carter Carter Schultz, I think, because Carter Schultz has actually been playing great on defense for the Salt Lake Stallions. The Sunday games include San Antonio, who is kind of in flux right now. I'm not sure exactly where San Antonio is at. I like them early on, but they've been kind of hit or miss. They're the ones taking on Birmingham. The one advantage they have is that, like I said, Birmingham hasn't shown me a lot on offense, and I need to see more. Yeah. Defensively, I like them. But uh, that we'll see how that matches up with San Antonio, who has been all over the place. And then lastly, the Sunday late-nighter is going to be Atlanta 0-3 taking on Arizona. And that one is my pick. So if I'm going to make one pick a week, I I made a couple of picks myself, but if I was going to make a pick, I would take Atlanta and the points because the Arizona hotshots are favored by 14. And I think that's a little too generous. I know that that they showed some offense, but it's actually been declining every single week. This past week, Arizona didn't look good, and I don't know if John Wolford is actually going to be playing. So that would concern me if I was... I would take the points, just because I feel like Atlanta could probably generate enough offense to stay within 14. That's really all you'd be shooting for. Sounds like a solid bet. Yeah. So that's week four in the Alliance, and we'll talk about it more as we go along. Now let's move on to people getting paid. This Big time. Yes. Yes. This is where I, this is where I insert hashtag sponsor us. We, we, we're, we, we like encouraging people getting paid. We like to get paid ourselves. We wouldn't mind. Nolan Arenado re-signed. He wasn't a free agent, so he re-signed with the Colorado Rockies for a record deal per season of an average salary of $32.5 million per season. It was, a two, it was an eight-year, $260 million extension, contract extension with Colorado. Your thoughts? Well, I think, I mean, first thought is 
this sucks for the Dodgers. But then again, they did beat them last year with Arenado in the lineup. But for Colorado, I think this is a great deal. And I kind of, I know there's been some articles out there and there's been some talk out of there that this is bad for the whole free agency thing, like for the way free agency is going in baseball. And then you sign, I have a big player who's coming up to free agency, but chooses to stay with the team instead of test the market, which I mean, he obviously could have tested the market and come back to Colorado, but to stay with the team, depriving fans of having this opportunity to, for this free agent thing. And I'm like, free agency sucks. It sucks the way it is right now. It's not that entertaining. Like you can basically tune in in February now if you want to see anything important. So who cares about the winter meetings or anything like that? I think, hey, you know what? He's in a good situation with a team that's on the rise, signing an extension. So to me, this is one of those big money deals that actually makes sense for the player and for the club. I agree with that. The only thing I would throw out as far as free agency is concerned, I, I'm I'm of two minds on this. My problem with it is what about the guy resigning with the club where he did well and built himself up? From a Colorado Rockies fan standpoint, you're like, Great, we resigned our guy. And we didn't have to do the whole free agency, you know, you know, all the posturing. Because at the end of the day, you're talking about large dollars anyway. Also, as far as an annual average salary of thirty two and a half million, that's hardly insulting. And it doesn't really wreck the free agent market for the mid tier guys and the low tier guys who aren't there. The other thing is from Arenado's standpoint, he's averaged 40 home runs and 126 RBIs over the past four seasons. Statistically, he's a better fit right now for the way they are in Coors Field. And we also documented, uh, if it wasn't last week, it was the week before, when we were talking about Colorado, the discrepancy between his statistics in Coors versus his statistics on the road, they were more dramatic this past season than at any other point, but they've always been, there's always been better play at home as far as a lot of these Colorado Rockies hitters. So why not stay where you are, make a ton of money, and have some good offensive seasons where you look good, especially in a place that already kind of fits you. And you've already been there for a while, and you could be there for the long run. You'll be a fan yeah. favorite. They'll love you. It'll be good. And I think the thing that makes this one a little bit different than, than say, the Machado deal or even the, the Harper deal, dun, 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 I know we're going to talk about that later, is, is the fact that he's in a position to win now, right? You're not playing – you're not giving all this money to one player – in the hopes that, you know, you're going to make a quick turnaround. Like, Colorado's already good. So now you're locking up your best player, and now you have, with a deal that I think is is fair and makes sense for the team, and then you can maybe look to add that final piece or those final couple pieces that are actually going to put you over the top and, and take you further than the NLDS. It solidifies them and kind of makes Colorado at least a player in the long run, knowing they don't have to worry about that for a while. It's already been settled, and now it's just figuring out how to fill out the rest of the lineup, making sure they get their pitching right, and making sure the rest of their offense is solidified going forward. Exactly. So I think it's a it's a good signing in as far as paying a guy $32 million a season can be a good signing, I suppose. I agree. Now, our long national nightmare, as I said, is over. At last, ladies and gentlemen, your hunger strikes can end. You can stop lighting candles. Bryce Harper has accepted a boatload of money. 13 years, $330 million. That's only marginally less than I make for doing this show. Only marginally, but pretty if close. Only. But pretty close. If only. Yep. Wait until we get that hashtag sponsor us money. We'll settle for 325. We're not greedy. 13 years, 325. You know, John Carlos Stanton money. We can do that. We're fine. Hell, we can, we'll even split it between the two of us. There, Our generosity knows no bounds. And I promise to keep the amount of bling to a minimum. You know, I won't do the full Mr. T thing. I'll do like a half Mr. T. You know, I think that's fair. That's reasonable. Yeah. And you can, you can bling up Benny T. It'll be very exciting for all of us, I think. Bryce Harper's deal works out to be a little over $25 million per season. But what he did is he went for the record for most amount of overall dollars in the deal. So that beat the Giancarlo Stanton deal by $5 million. Still same 13-year time period. So basically, Bryce Harper will be, right now, no trade clause and also no opt-out. So right now, Bryce Harper is, quote-unquote, set to be a Philly through his age 39 season. 
Your overall thoughts on that one? Well, I mean, first of all, for Bryce Harper and for his agent, Scott Boris, I think it's a great deal. And that's basically where I end with my thoughts on that being a great deal. I think Bryce Harper is a good player. And it was interesting. I was listening to MLB radio and they're talking about how, you know, is Bryce Harper in the top 10 anymore? Is he in the top 15 of players? And, you know, there's a lot of people that I feel like are really high on Bryce Harper and, and who they think Bryce Harper is. Bryce Harper is a great baseball player. I just don't think this deal is going to make sense long term for Philadelphia. There may be a short window in a couple of years or maybe like midpoint in this deal, maybe, where Philly can put it all together. But by the time he's 38, 39, especially if the NL still doesn't have a DH, they're going to be going, why did we do this? So taking it from a historical perspective, history kind of tells us that these long-term deals don't tend to work out. I'll use the Miguel Cabrera example, and the truth is we're going to talk more about him during the main topic. I think we left out the main topic. It's going to be us talking about the American League Central. So we're going to get to more about Miguel Cabrera shortly. But as far as the example that he sets is concerned, Miguel Cabrera, Albert Pujols, all these long-term deals, they they range from being either fine for a while. The only one that I can think of that is a long-term deal that was decent for a time was maybe the first A-Rod deal. Not the second one, the first one. You're talking about the one in Texas. The one in Texas. Yes. And it, and it wasn't that... He didn't. He played exceptionally well through the majority of his contract. If you take that first contract from the beginning of it towards the end, in the end, he ended up extending for an additional 10 years. But the extension was the egregious part. The initial contract during that 10-year span, it was fine. There's nothing wrong with it. The extension made it dumb towards the tail end where they had to buy him out. But none of these long-term ones ever work. It's not. I wouldn't even worry so much about his year 38 and 39 season. We're assuming, even if we, even if we take Bryce Harper in a vacuum and say he is an elite player, which I can contest. But let's say we take him and assume he is. I'm not worried about him through his age 30 season. The only reason Bryce Harper is valuable at this point is because he's 26 and you're projecting into the future, hoping he can maintain his prime into close to his mid-30s. That's what this contract is trying to say. Miguel Cabrera is approaching his mid-30s. He's not even there yet. I think he's 34. Well, last year he played 38 games. So it can be injury. It can be age. It can be a variety of different things that can knock a player down. And Miguel Cabrera was a triple crown winner. I'd rather have Miguel Cabrera at his prime, at his best, than what Bryce Harper currently brings to the table. And the problem is, do I expect it to get better? So I'd be hoping then for his MVP type season to happen again in the future. I think in the long run, I don't see Philadelphia and Bryce Harper staying together for the majority of that 13-year period. But with no trade clause and no opt-out, if you're Philadelphia, if he starts to fall off, all of a sudden, you're stuck with this gigantic contract that you have no way to get out of for a long time. And it's just going to keep going for years and years and years. We'll see how it plays out. But the truth is, I don't understand the deal. And uh, I'll actually throw a little wrinkle in it for you. I don't know if you heard about this, Dave. Did you know specifically the, some of the details? It's still alleged. But do you know some of the details regarding the Dodgers play for Bryce Harper? Yeah, like the, the talk that they, they were going after him, but for a shorter term deal. Yes. But and they, they actually met with the apparently representatives from the Dodgers met with him at his home in Vegas. That is right. But did you, I actually a little bit of information leaked out again? It's rumor and speculation. But there were rumors out there about what type of deal they were offering in terms of dollars and years. Did you hear about any of that? No, I did not. Word out there is that it was in the area of four years and an average of 45 million per season. Oh. So really, the sticking point wasn't the per year. 45 million per year. That's far and away it's an extra 20 million per season over what he ended up signing for but what and he, and it would have made him a free agent at age 30 so potentially for both parties involved if he plays up to the level that he claim that they think he can play at then all of a sudden you make 
$180 million in four years, and then you're a free agent again at age 30 with the opportunity to sign one more mega deal before you re- before you leave your prime. That makes, makes me wonder why he didn't sign that, if that is actually what was on the table. I, I mean, think he just wanted the guaranteed dollars. Fair enough. Knowing for like, sure you're getting $330 million over the next 13 years, for sure. That's a lot of security. You know where the money's coming from, and you know how much is coming. No, I, it's true. And I, I think... I think what this shows us is that this deal is all about the money. 100%. And and that's that's it, plain and simple. It's not about anything else. It's not about winning. It's about the money. For Philadelphia, this will only work if it results in the minimum of one championship. It's It has to result in a World Series of some kind, or else it was a complete waste of everybody's time. Correct. There's there's no other, op- not, no other scenario that works for Philadelphia other than minimum, minimum, one World Series championship. Also, and I think they're even talking about like I don't know. Now there's rumors flying around that they're going to go after Keuchel too, and maybe Craig Kimbrell, who are both asking for stupid money. Like, you may as well. The thing is, if you're hey, going to go all in, go all franchise, in. go nuts, Philly. Go all. If you may as well go all in, then truly go all in. You because you've got your window, whatever it's going to be, and you don't know. You can ask the Chicago Cubs what happens when your potential dynasty falls apart. You got to take it if it's there. If something's there, then. Go for it and see what happens. Which so, makes me feel like the Dodgers aren't, but that's another story. Well, I think forty-five million a year is pretty is pretty respectable offer. Oh, for sure it is, but I I feel I don't know. I'm you, not, you didn't I just, want him for five, I'm not six, sure seven what I really years. Feel about that? Yeah, you don't want him for five, six, seven years. It wouldn't have made any sense. And I think that's what it would have taken at the forty-five million per. And which is still like obscene. It is, but I, I, to be honest, I want to give your Dodgers a little bit of props. I like that offer. I feel like the length, the contract, even though the forty-five million is obscene, the contract length I think is beautiful because it gets them out of Harper just in case he doesn't come out as advertised. They only have to pay him for four years; they're not on the hook forever. I kind of like, I kind of like the offer, even though it didn't work. I like the idea behind it, and they showed they were willing to offer big money, real money. So conceptually, I love it. In the end, it didn't work out for them. I don't think it's going to work out for Philadelphia either in the long run. So there it is, our, our good, our good buddy Bryce Harper. Finally, the Harper update finally led to something. So much for my uh, $600 million with the White Sox prediction, but... We felt just short. If he had gone what with can the carp, you do? If he had gone with the carp, it would have been billions of yen. Billions! Anyway, there's your Bryce Harper news, and I think that'll be it for Bryce Harper news for a long time, because I don't know what he's going to do that would actually be worthy of news. We'll see. Now... DFL football, Carlos. Johnny Manziel. Yes, yes, we're doing it. All right. Johnny Manziel is excommunicated from Canada. I don't actually think that's how it was worded. That is how it was implied. He was escorted out by Mounties, the polar bears and beavers holding ground. The caribou were like, get out. And we were going to send Canada geese if he didn't move fast enough. You, you know, honestly, I think if that's how it actually went down, that probably would have been the best story ever. It's not far. It's not far removed. Now, one thing I'll note about this. So let, let me quickly outline the story and then we'll, uh, we'll opine our thoughts here. Johnny Menzel basically had uh, come to CFL, I guess, with, with some hype. You know, they were kind of hoping that he would be able to, his style of play would translate well to the CFL game, given that he's kind of an undersized quarterback who can run a little bit. Conceptually, it seemed like a reasonable thought process, but he had also kind of flamed out as, you know, quarterback of the Cleveland Browns. This was kind of forgiven thought away because it is the Cleveland Browns and they're a dumpster fire historically. But the reality is when he got to the CFL, he basically flamed out in Hamilton because he couldn't win the starting job because he didn't play well enough. And we'll talk about what they traded in a second. But the reality is then he was cast off to, to Montreal and I think to your point, uh, Hamilton did well on that deal. Uh, what were the particulars? Do you remember? It's two first-round draft picks. Yeah. So even at that point, though, at that point, I would have taken a bag of deflated footballs, you know, with Tom Brady's signature on them. It would have been fine. At least you well, would have been. Go ahead. And, and one of the things that, I, that, that has been coming out about this is it almost feels like 
there's some kind of Machiavellian thing going on here that Hamilton knew this was going to be a flame out based on his behavior in training camp in Hamilton. He'd been showing up late and and some things like that, which had caused the Ticats to really worry about long-term prospects and what his behavior is going to be like. And I think they saw that, that the ship was going down and decided to cut it when they could. And I think, honestly, I mean, I, I get that in the CFL, a first-round pick isn't a game-changer like it is in the NFL because it's, you know, Canadian college draft. So you're but saying they're you, not getting Kyler Murray? No. Oh. But you're probably going to get – I mean, if you can get – especially in Canadian, in Canadian football terms, if you could get, like, two linemen, like old linemen out of this, which is, you know, a lot of the people who get picked in the Canadian draft, usually a receiver or an, uh, an offensive lineman or maybe a kicker. But, I mean, that's a solid piece for your team. So any way this works, however, right, it, for Hamilton, it's better than if they kept Menzel. So Hamilton's laughing all the way to the bank with this one. That's fair. And I think the other element of it that I like, truthfully, so when he went to Montreal, the idea was that he was going to be their starter. And speaking of Machiavellian, I'll talk about it in a second. Everything regarding the Menzel thing is speculation. And a lot of that is due to the way the CFL handled it after they decided that they were going to part ways. But when he got to Montreal, he was supposed to be the starter. He was two and six in a starter. You know, I think 1,200 yards. Like it wasn't, it was five touchdowns and seven interceptions. He didn't know. I well. mean, to be fair, Montreal was a really crappy team too. I mean, he didn't play well. But I don't want to put it all on him because Montreal was bad. I agree. But the problem is he hasn't played well anywhere. Like since he left a college field, he hasn't played well at any level of professional football anywhere he's gone in two countries. And it seems and it, the issue seems to be work ethic. A lot of it. Now, now we don't know. And they, the CFL hasn't said, but this is the other thing we need to keep in mind here is that his release was mandated by the CFL. Yes. So the CFL told Montreal, you have to release Johnny Menzel. And they also said to the other eight clubs, you are not allowed to sign him because he broke some provision in his agreement. But we don't know what that provision is. So there was some kind of behavioral contract or something else that he had signed and said, like, this is what I will live up to while I'm here in Canada. And something on that list he didn't do. But we don't know what that is yet. That hasn't leaked. That's right. So I'm going to quote here a TSN story, which is actually uh, the one that I'll include in the show notes. Basically, the statement coming from the CFL commissioner, Randy Ambrose, was, we advised Montreal that Johnny had violated one of the conditions we had set for him to be in our league. We didn't release the terms of those conditions then, and we're not going to do that now, which the vagueness is part of what leads to, it fuels speculations about what it could have been. People are then looking at, okay, so where could he go? The Alliance of American Football, potentially the XFL, whatever. And one of the things that gets thrown out there now is that was Menzel, and this is the Machiavellian part from his perspective, was Menzel so disinterested in playing in Canada that he knew what the terms were? He knew exactly what he would need to do to effectively get his contract voided. And then just either didn't show up to something he was supposed to show up to or violated the terms in some way because nobody's gone out and said that he had any problem with the law or did anything in particular, but he violated something they had agreed to. So in reality, all he'd have to do is not show up to a mandatory meeting of some kind, something related yeah. to anything. And if that's enough to get him booted out, the problem that I have with it, and that's very possible, that, that could very well be the case. The problem that I have with it is this. If you're the Alliance of American Football or the XFL, in terms of grabbing headlines, it would work for a little while. My problem is twofold. Number one, he hasn't shown that he can play anywhere right now. He, he hasn't played well in years with anybody, anywhere he's gone. Number two, let's take it at face value and let's say his grandmaster plan, once he decided he didn't want to play in the, in the CFL anymore, he decided he was going to violate the rules to get out of the league. Here's my issue. You can't honor your commitments. As a quarterback, you're supposed to be a quote-unquote leader. Why the hell would I want you in my locker room? 
everywhere you go, you basically make up excuses and you keep having excuses made for you. And also you're not playing well. It's not like your performance negates your, your negative attributes. So I can't trust you. I can't ch- trust you to keep your word. And he didn't have the gut. And he, frankly, he didn't have the balls to get into the Montreal offices and just say, hey, you know what? This isn't working out for me. I'd like to go back to the U.S. Can we work something out? Because I'm sure that would have gone over a lot better than breaking the conditions in order to get himself booted out of the league. For sure it would have. Yeah, it's not a good look because even if, as you said, best case scenario, he didn't commit a crime, he didn't you know, fail a drug test or something something more serious. Best case scenario, he's just a whiny kid who decided he didn't want out of a commitment that he made when nobody else was beating down his door. Nobody wanted him. And we saw Nathan Peterman play NFL football last year. The bar is low in the NFL right now. There are 32 teams there. You can't be, you're not good enough to be a backup. You're not good enough to be, you know, a starter on a really crummy team. No one wants you. And now all of a sudden you're looking at the Alliance of American Football. He's scheduled to make, he was scheduled to make 202,000 Canadian next year. Translate that into US dollars. I think that's 140,000, give or take. Still a decent salary. That's more than the 75,000 the Alliance would give you. There's more than the 75,000 the XFL, I think, is going to be paying their players. So you're going to take a pay cut. And truthfully, history tells us already. That if you're an American who wants one more crack at the NFL, you can still get there from the CFL. You can ask Doug Flutie. You can ask um, Jeff Garcia. You can ask Warren Moon. Warren Moon's in the Hall of Fame. It's possible. For whatever reason, it didn't work in the NFL the first time. You went to the CFL and played. If you demonstrated. Now, all of those guys won championships in the CFL. They demonstrated a capability, A, to play, and B, to win. Johnny Menzel has, has not demonstrated that he can play, and he hasn't won anything. What are you supposed to do with that? Other than the brief bump from uh, from the headlines, Johnny Manziel's not worth a penny to me. He's and he's barely he's barely worth the league minimum, which is the league maximum. It's kind of a waste of time for me. I'm sure they'll try him out and maybe they'll throw him out there on a team, but it seems like uh, I wouldn't waste any more time with Johnny Manziel if I was one of those leagues. No. So that's my main takeaway from that one. Uh, did you anything else you wanted to add on that piece? No, I think we move on to our final news and note. All right. Which is me talking about Toronto FC. All right, hold on. It's not, I feel like I, I really want to record some kind of a introductory segment for, for pretentious cross-country running, and then, you know, you can get into your spiel. I'm going to have, like, a jingle or something at some point. All right, but, do it. But pretentious cross-country running report with David Turnbull. Please So go. here's what happened. I was at the game on Tuesday. It was cold, minus 10, with uh, wind chill was minus 18, what it felt like. Uh, TFC played a lot better than they did in Panama, a lot better, but they only managed a 1-1 draw, which was another horrible defensive error for the, for the goal that was scored against them. So they're out of the tournament. So 1-1 final in that game, 5-1 on aggregate, they're bounced. Independiente is now playing Sporting Kansas City in the next round. I expect Kansas City to do a lot better. They just eliminated Toluca from Mexico. So the four U.S. teams that are still in it are moving on, the MLS teams. And we've still got uh, three Mexican teams, I believe, in it and a couple of other teams. So I'm looking forward to following the tournament. I don't think anything else is on in TV in Canada, but I'll still follow it. Uh, In the meantime... TFC is maybe signing somebody else from Belgium. They say, oh, we just need a signature on the paper, so why don't you just have the signature? Anyway, I'm still not really looking forward to TFC season. They're opening up on Saturday. They're playing the Philadelphia Union in Philadelphia, and I, I will watch the game because some part of me just likes the pain because I freaking think they're going to suck. Just suck this year. Only some part of you. I, I, I've long known you to be a masochist. It is kind of your thing. I'm surprised you didn't go in person so you could freeze even more. Well, I'd have to go to Philadelphia to do that. Oh, they, it wasn't a home game? Because I saw no. like a commercial for it. I thought they were... No, their, home, home their first home game is March 17th, I believe. Okay. And a uh, quick question. I, I tried to throw it in there earlier. Who scored first in the game? 
Uh, TFC did. So they scored in the, I think it was like 20 something minute. So you're saying in the first half that if you guys had gone to my proposed rule change, TFC could have won and you could have been out of there in 20 minutes. How convenient. Hey, you should be right in the league. Just saying you guys could have been out of there in 20 minutes and moved on with your lives. All right. So instead I was there for an hour and a half. But I did move on with my life because my my anger from last week has greatly dissipated into casual uh, just acceptance. So you've basically become Oaks. Uh, let's not go that far. Just saying. Anyway, shout out to you, Oaks. As far as the news and notes, that mainly covers the main topics of it. One thing I am going to add a little wrinkle, and I'm going to try to do this going forward uh, to help out anyone who's listening. When we do our news and notes, uh, some of them take a little bit longer, some of them are a little bit quicker. I'm going to try to put timestamps on them. So if somebody wants to kind of fast forward through, if they want to skip pretentious cross-country running, they can go straight to the main topic. They can bounce back and forth. It's just to help out the listener because we're thinking about you guys. We care about our listeners. We care. That's right. Main topic of the day. The American League Central, they suck. They all suck. They're really, really bad, except one team. Yeah, I I think Dumpster Fire would be another apt uh, comparison that we could use here. Yeah, and it isn't because I dislike these teams, just so we're clear. I I am an American League guy. That is my preferred league. I am making a conscious effort to watch more of the National League. I actually got the charge from MLB for for the New Year's streaming package. My goal is to make sure that I I want to get maximum value out of it. I'm going to be sitting there doing the multi-screen life. I'm going to be watching some games. That's my plan. But I got to tell you, this league, uh, let me give you a little context, and then we'll talk about what we think this this, this season is going to hold for the American League Central. For context, for everyone, last year, all you need to understand about this division is that four out of the five teams had a negative run differential, meaning they gave up more runs than they scored. Four out of five. That's first, okay? Second, Two of the teams lost over 100 games. The third-place team, the Detroit Tigers, lost 98. That's bad. That's real bad. Number four. Sorry, number three. Minnesota, who was the second-place team, was under 500, but they won six of their they won six of their final games to get to 78 wins. That's bad. And lastly, Cleveland, who ended up winning the division, actually had a losing record against teams over 500 at 23 and 31. That's bad. And they were the best ones. Comfortably the best ones. They won by 13 games. Just think about that. They won the division by 13 games. Minnesota was 19 games back of the wild card. They were further behind the wild card team than they were the team who won their division. That is also bad. No, it's, you know, like, I like pretty much every team. Just as like, if I I was a neutral fan, which obviously neither of us are, like just total watching baseball, this would probably be my favorite division based on the teams that are here. But no, I mean, not this year. But in general, yeah, I'm not I'm not pleased with this. So this is why I am confident in the first place team I'm going to pick. And just for the listeners who can't see this, Carlos has now put on a Cleveland hat, which he bought at the game last summer. The C is for Carlos. So now my prediction for this division, again, I feel I don't know really how I feel about this. I have Cleveland as number one, and I feel relatively confident about that. I think that's the only one we're... I think we can safely say, unless something disastrously tragic happens, spoiler, I think Cleveland wins this division. So then Twins at number two, Royals at number three, Tigers at four, and White Sox at five. Here's the truth. If we're being 100% honest with ourselves and with anyone who's listening, we're both very confident in Cleveland. After that, it gets murky. Because I gave you the stats. The stats don't lie. All the other teams were very poor. It's kind of them just jockeying for position, and they're at various levels of rebuilds. And by the way, just so we're clear, Minnesota has been, over the last couple of years, at least respectable. And, and the fact they were second place was because they were close to 500. They're respectable. In 2005, the White Sox won the World Series. 
They've only they've collapsed in recent years, but that's kind of what happened. Kansas City won the World Series in 2015. It is 2019. And they went to back-to-back World Series in 2014 and 2015. It's not like they're 40 years removed from being decent. A lot of these teams have had some measure of success, and Detroit was in the World Series a couple of years back as well. It's been a while now, but these teams were not all terrible not that long ago. It's the last couple of years where it's just kind of fallen apart. I've got Cleveland first as well. The rest of it is where your guess is as good as mine, but I'm, but I'm taking my stab at it. I think Detroit improves a little bit. I've got them second. I've got Minnesota kind of hovering around the same level at third. I've got Kansas City fourth, and I've got the Chicago White Sox in fifth. Okay, so we both agree on one and five. So, so well, which team do you want to start with, Carlos? All right, so American League, I will steer for this one. Let's talk about the Detroit Tigers. Okay. All right, so last season, they were 64-98, and 98, as I said. They were almost the third 100-loss team, which I got to think in the history of baseball might be a record for a division to have three 100-loss teams. I don't think I've ever heard of that. I'm not. Yeah, sure. no, for sure. Considering they play each other, I'm not sure how that's even possible with the amount of games they play each other. Anyway, so really the, the question becomes this. The Detroit Tigers, for a lot of these teams, I there's no sense in going into an extensive analysis because there isn't a lot you can do here. For me, the Detroit Tigers really comes down to, can Miguel Cabrera rebound from playing 38 games last year? Can he play? He, he doesn't need to play at his you know, triple crown MVP caliber level. But can he be good? Can he be respectable? Can he be a 20 to 30 home run guy who hits 280 or 290? He used to be a 300, hit home, 300 hitter. He doesn't need to be that. But if he's a guy who can hit 20 to 30 home runs, hit 280, 290, be a good hitter. As a designated hitter slash first baseman, I think that helps Detroit a little bit. So that's one thing. So can he return to some kind of his form? Because they're in the middle of the rebuild. And right now, Detroit has $55 million committed to Cabrera and Jordan Zimmerman. They're basically sitting around waiting for German Zimmerman's contract to run out. There's some talent in the minors, but again, they're waiting. They're sitting there on it. Injuries, you know, are a question. Victor Martinez retired, which opens, it up, opens up the DH position potentially for Cabrera, which, as I said, might help his health and get him through his, the, rest of his, uh, the rest of his contract because he still has five years and $154 million left on his contract. That kind of goes back to that long-term deal and the potential downsides of it that I'm talking about. And at the early part of that deal, Miguel Cabrera's uh, deal was a bargain. And if he was still 70% of what he was at his peak, it would still be a pretty good deal. So think about that. Five years and $154 million left that Detroit has to pay out. You can't trade the contract. There's nothing you can do with it. You just have to throw him out there and hope he can play a little bit. Yeah. And as far as Detroit's concerned, I can't even talk about their pitching staff. Jordan Zimmerman, good luck. Yeah, I think – I mean, I don't have much to add to that. I think a couple of things worth noting talking about, though, is uh, Daniel Norris, speaking of pitching, he's now out of the rotation. Last year had a 5.68 ERA in 44 and third innings. So that doesn't give you a lot of confidence. Cabrera, I mean, he's still – like if he can keep his numbers where they've been or close to where they've been historically – Again, he's 35 right now. He turns 36 in April. But last year, with an average of 299 on base, 395. Like, he had good numbers in that sense. He just needs to play. That's why I'm hoping and, it projects out to a full season. If he can hit somewhere in that 280, 290 range and actually play a full schedule, I, I think that projects out well over a full year. Oh, for sure. And then you have – the one thing is you have Marvin Gonzalez signed a two-year deal for $21 million from Houston. So he's 29. Last year, he hit 247 with 16 home runs and 68 RBI. And they're expecting him to be a sort of third-base DH combo, which I, I feel is a, a smart pickup for them. I think it's a, it's a good pickup. It's a, he's a good player, very serviceable player. But I, I just I don't, I, like, I don't know what this team is right now. I don't know where they're going. You know? Like, okay, 
great. Now you can just be mediocre like every other sports team in Detroit. Shout out Detroit. No, I, I it, the, the fact is that's really where the Tigers are at. They're, they're, all, a lot of these teams are kind of in limbo, which is very it's very strange for most of a division to be in that status. That's kind of the reason why Cleveland looks so good relatively. It's not that they're world beaters right now. It's just they're not a disaster like a lot of these other teams. Hmm. So that's kind of where Detroit falls in. So for my projection, we, we both have Detroit in different spots, but really what it's going to come down to is if they can put enough pieces together because having Miguel Cabral for a full season, if he plays okay... He's like getting a hitter in free agency. That's really what you're getting. It's just Absolutely. You've got something there. Um, the rest of it is just going to be, can they cobble something together and at least be respectable? That's really what that comes down to. Next uh, team on the docket for me here, I've got the Kansas City Royals. They were uh, losers of 104 games last year. They're, I think their management is competent. So really a lot of my confidence in them. Now, mind you, my confidence led me to say they're fourth. But what I'm thinking basically is that they'll improve. I don't think they'll lose 100 games again. That should be enough. My quote-unquote confidence really comes down to I expect them to play a little bit better. When we did our research, I looked at the you know one of the preview magazines and they they wrote something that I that I quoted that I'm going to quote here for you that really kind of tells me what the problem is with Kansas City. Alex Gordon rebounded after two poor seasons to hit 245 with 13 home runs. That's a rebound. That that's that's an improvement. Now, fortunately, Alex Gordon is at the end of his contract, so they'll he'll be kind of off the book shortly. But that's kind of what Kansas City is looking for. Now, it's not that they don't have some players who can play. It's just a lot of the pieces that they had that got them into those back-to-back World Series years, they're not there. And a lot of the components aren't aren't around. They're trying to figure out how to cobble together a lineup. Ned Yost is probably going to retire after the season. I think he agreed to hang in one more year just to kind of work with the younger players and try to help them in, as part of their rebuild. But they're in full-fledged rebuild mode. They're trying to put the pieces back together. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean... Same thing, like question marks. So if your guy, your main guys that you're trying to sell the fans on are Alberto Mondesi and Billy Hamilton, like those are you don't have the names. I mean, the interesting thing is though with Mondesi and oh how I wish he was Raul Mondesi. He has fairly good numbers, and if you if you prorated his numbers from last year because he didn't play the whole season to this year, you're looking at a guy who could potentially hit you 25 home runs and get 50 steals. So pretty solid numbers there. I think that's what they're hoping for. They're they're hoping that a lot of their younger guys can meet some of their potential, some of the promise they're hoping for. That's really what that comes down to. But I do have some good news in the fans department. Now, this is potential. This is still something that's being worked out. But the Omaha Storm Chasers, the AAA affiliate of the Kansas City Royals, are making a pitch to add a player to their lineup who, if they were able to get, I think could end up at the major league level and really move the needle. Are you ready? I am ready. The Omaha Storm Chasers have already, they've been on social media with this. They're pitching to get Bartolo Colon. Yes. The dream. Think about it. You would tune in to Kansas City Royals games to see Bartolo Colon. Who who doesn't want Big Sexy, man? Who doesn't want to tune in and watch Big Sexy? Listen, as long as Bartolo Colon is out there living his best life and he's playing games, I think the baseball world is happier for it. We need to get this man back in baseball. He can start off with the Omaha Storm Chasers, work himself into shape, and then get to the major league level and play for Kansas City. I'm in. And bonus points he doesn't have to hit because I've seen that man hit and... It's it's something. I think the word used was majestic, or maybe the well, word I used was majestic, and we were just and you were just thinking it. Maybe, but it, it it yeah. I mean, it is majestic. It is. It's just maybe not the kind of majestic that the listeners are thinking when they hear that word. Majestic like a slow motion wounded gazelle. It's 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 not it's not pretty. Unfortunately, that's really all I've got for Kansas City. There's not a lot I can add for these guys. Yeah, the only other thing is, like you said, speaking with young players. So they're thinking, hopefully, Brad Keller is going to be their opening day starter. 
He's 23. Last year, he had a 3.08 ERA in 140 and a third innings in 20 starts. So, you know, if you can get him and he's a little bit better than last year or is on an upward trajectory, I mean, you potentially have a couple of pieces that you could look forward to, maybe build around. But again, neither of us are expecting anything from this team, really. Yeah. There's not a lot you can say. I would love to go more in depth on these, and I promise as, as we get into the season, as things are going on, I think as we've as we've gone on here, the focus of the show has really been around football and baseball because that's really – baseball is one thing I'm super passionate about. Football is something I've become more passionate about over the last 10 years or so, and there's just more to talk about, and it's easier to get in depth. You can't focus on too many sports. It's just not possible. But I think we'll be there'll be some more baseball talk as we get through this year. And, of course, as the alliance goes on and does its thing, I'll, I'm still interested in talking about it. As far as this division is concerned, though, I'm going to move on now to the Minnesota Twins. Basically kind of our mid-tier, decent team, second-place finisher last year. They went 78-84. and 84. I don't see them getting a lot better, and I don't see them getting a lot worse. They're kind of they're kind of just stuck in that middle zone. They could very well be the second-place team again just by keeping right around where they were. Or they could move back one or two spots depending on what happens with the other teams. Joe Maurer, yeah. Joe, go ahead. I expect them to be an over 500 team this year. It's possible, and that would be enough. That would put them right there, either second or third place. Joe Maurer's retirement gives him a little bit of payroll flexibility because uh, his, you know, he's done. He had a great career for Minnesota, but the tail end of it wasn't quite as good. He never got his full promise after he had those concussion problems that caused him to lo- no longer be a catcher. Uh, they did add Nelson Cruz, which is kind of cool. So you get a veteran power bat. You know, he had 37 home runs last year in 2018, so that's good. Uh, yeah, and that, that's the move right there that I've I've zeroed in on to say that I think that's what gets them over 500. That move right there. Yeah, because nothing else has really fundamentally changed. I don't think there's really been much other roster movement that really moves the needle. They're kind of the same team they were, but with Nelson Cruz. Yeah, but can, can I give you one of my favorite stories for the, the offseason of the Minnesota Twins, Carlos? Go for it. So Miguel Sano, he played 71 games last year due to injury. And the bet, this is my favorite, probably my favorite MLB offseason story. He has already injured himself. And you're thinking, well, you know, okay, whatever, spring training, but like still, no, no. He did not injure himself in spring training. This man has already injured his right heel in the Dominican League. He played in winter ball and got himself injured before spring training. I'm encouraged. I like where I like where we went with this. And that, in a nutshell, is, is part of part of the problem with this division. Just stuff like that happens. I think. Uh, is there anything else you want to add for Minnesota? Uh, the only other player I got down written down is Williams Estudillo, uh, only because he had only three Ks and ninety-seven plate appearances. So if you got a player like that who's potentially going to be a better contact hitter or better on base percentage, I mean, it's again, I see what I'm saying is I see a few pieces here, minus uh, minus Sano, of course, that could I think make this team a few games better so they're over 500 and comfortably in second place but nowhere near challenging for a playoff spot or challenging cleveland for the division fair enough also known as we're really grasping at straws with some of these teams really scraping the statistical barrel the bottom of it is being scraped right now as we speak okay so that moves us on to the chicago white Sox, one of our other 100 lost teams from last year at exactly 62 and 100 Injury plague last season. Again, I'm going to quote the season preview magazine. Dave, I want your thoughts on this quote before we talk about the team. This is literally the first sentence from this team from the Chicago White Sox. The safest prediction to make for the White Sox is that 2019 cannot possibly be as miserable as 2018, even if the franchise manages to lose 100 games again. <laughs> Dang! That's the first sentence. That's what you started with. That's in print. They wrote that. Damn. Um, I, you know what? Like, 
part of me wants to just end the preview there and start and move on to Cleveland. Like, we don't need to talk about any of the players, but just that's all you need is that one line, that one sentence. And okay, now moving on to the Cleveland Indians. Like, one, how do you even, like, what is that? So you want, me, I have some notes. Do you want me to even read them? Like, do you want me to we'll, talk about we'll it? We'll talk about we'll talk about this team for a second. But can I can I read you a little bit here? So do you, so that was the first sentence of this preview. Okay. Do you know what the second sentence is? It said cannot be as miserable as 2018, even if the franchise manages to lose 100 games again. It couldn't be. That's the next sentence. <laughs> so let, let me give you the rundown here. Really, quickly. I feel like I feel like there's some foreshadowing going on here where it's like they're gonna what, like they're gonna lose like one last game this year. 99. They can do it. The drive for 99. All right, so here he goes. Not after relief pitcher Danny Farquhar nearly died in a ju- in the dugout with a blood clot, clot in his brain in April, and 2000. Who's now with the Yankees? Yeah, and 2017 top draft pick Jake Berger ruptured his left Achilles tendon in spring training before tearing it a second time in May, and top pitching prospect Michael Kopech was shut down with Tommy John surgery in early September after making four impressive starts in the big leagues. And he will be out for the season. Yep, and the team's aggressive rebuilding push was stalled with other top prospects: Zap Burndy, Dane Dunning, Alec Hansen, Mick Rodolfo, and Luis. Uh, Luis Robert lost significant development time due to injuries. The Sox needed more than talent infusion. They needed an exorcism. That is the first paragraph of the season preview of the Chicago White Sox. Damn. Yeah. And moving on to the Cleveland Indians. Um, But also, can I add some insult to injury to what you've just read, though? Go ahead. So, first of all, the the talk of the offseason with the White Sox was, we're going hard on Machado. We're going to try try and get Machado. We think we get Machado. And and he's going to be a Chicago White Sox. Well, now he's a San Diego Potter. He didn't get Machado. So, screw that. Done. Okay, there's one thing that's not going to get any better. Michael Kopech, as you said, out for the season. Okay, uh, all right, let's see, let's see. Let's let's go to the next person. Okay, let's go to Yon Mankata. Oh, he struck out 217 times last year. Okay, let's go to the pitching. Okay, well, we've got Calvin Herrera and Ivan Nova. Like, but when stability is the best thing you can say about your pitching staff, is like, eh, right? The only thing, personally, this is the only thing I think they have going for them, is Aloy Jimenez. He's the number five ranked uh, overall prospect in baseball. He might not arrive till mid-April, but they're they're saying that he's a possible rookie of the year candidate. So, they, you know what? There's potentially a bright light until they tell us that he gets injured in spring training and like tore his Achilles and is out for the season or something. But you know, there's still time. Sure, I will. Uh, I will shine a little bit of a spotlight on Jose Abreu, who's been a very consistent and good player for Chicago. His uh, his streak of 25 home run, 100 RBI seasons ended because of. Injury, basically, really, just health issues. I think he can still be a good player, so, but he's been kind of the bright spot in a lot of struggling seasons. And two final statistics I'll leave you with on the Chicago White Sox. They're at six consecutive losing seasons, which is the longest streak by the franchise since 1950. And last season, they were swept in 14 different series. I think, and this is the thing, like, I actually like the White Sox. I have a lot of White Sox gear. I don't know why. I just am kind of like, it's like my third team, if you can even have a third team. But like, if I'm living in Chicago right now, I'm like, if I'm like a diehard Southside kind of person, then I'm, I don't know what I'm doing this summer. And if I'm kind of in the middle, I hate to say it, but uh, I'm going to Wrigley Field. It's a nicer ballpark and a way better team. I think for a lot of the Chicago fans, if uh, they're fans of Chicago-based baseball teams right now, they're if they're younger, they're looking to their elders. Tell us about the old times when this was the norm. Both our teams are terrible, and they're like, let me tell you the story, child of when the White Sox and the Cubs were always perpetually terrible. I'm hoping for their sake. I, I have no ill will towards Chicago. I'm hoping at some point they can have a decent team again. The White Sox are not in position to do it. And as we mentioned, the Cubs might be at the end of their run. So we'll kind of have to, have to see how that plays out. But right now the Cubs are, at least they look more hopeful 
even as they try to cycle out of their current uh, roster. So now, our little trip through the American League Central, we tried to save the best for last because really, I don't know if I could do much worse than what we just did. So we got the Cleveland Indians, who last year were 91 and 71, and I already covered some of the statistics, but they traded away Donaldson, uh, Encarnacion, and Andrew Miller, and Jan Gomes. So they're vulnerable, but considering the murderer's row of teams we've just talked about, probably still the best team. Yeah, Cleveland, like, I don't know, I, I don't know what they're doing, because, like, we said, like, we, I don't know if we talked about this already, or we talked about this off-air before we started recording, they're not in full rebuild mode, but they're kind of in rebuild mode as evidenced by what you just talked about. But they didn't trade away any of their starting pitchers, so I think they're still going for it. I think it's a half but, measure. I think they're yeah. trying to. I think they were trying to cut salary with the idea that we'll keep the team competitive enough, given how bad this division is. Because I don't think for one second the management hasn't looked at the division and gone, "This is what we face." I like our chances to win the division. We can probably get to the playoffs, even if we get rid of all these guys. The money we save now will position us where if we get close to the trade deadline and we think we've got a real shot, we can actually load up. They can actually load up late and not commit to big to full seasons of contracts and do some yeah, other players. Yeah, like I feel this is in most divisions, like if you're in the NL West or the AL East or the, even the NL East now, you're not, this isn't going to work. But because everyone else in the division sucks so much, you, you know what, you might just be able to like actually rebuild on the fly and keep winning, you know, and then make the playoff revenue, which you can reinvest back in the team. So I, I see them as a playoff team. I don't see them going very, very much further than the ALDS. But hey, if you're, you know what I mean? Like if you have reason to show up at the ballpark, if you are a fan and are living in the Cleveland area. I think, though, that's the thought process. I think they're actually trying to be like, OK, this team is starting to age out. Our shot here is to try to field a competitive team. If we can take a shot, could you imagine if at the trade deadline they go and grab a bunch of rental players and maybe make a run? If they get to the ALCS in some way, it would be considered a major victory. Totally. And if they can get it, and if they can get and develop some players that are going to be good for them in the years coming, that's a a rebuild where you actually got to reap the benefits where the team was decent in the meantime. Yeah. And that's the best case scenario. That's about as good as you can do. So I am happy with them. They've still got Corey Kluber, who is still their ace. Trevor Bauer had a 2.21 ERA last season. Tremendous. Jose Ramirez was an MVP contender. Phenomenal. And Jose uh, Lindor was great. So they've got they've still got good pieces. Yeah. And I think they're looking now at like somebody like Jake Bowers, who's 23, but can play first base or outfield. And somebody who's under the radar a lot uh, is Mike Clevenger. Uh, so he had 5.2 war last year and opposing batters batted 223 against him, which is not bad. I, I think, you know, you're giving a chance to some guys that may surprise you. Well, you already have some solid talent in places. So I, I would be shocked, shocked if Cleveland doesn't run away with this division. Yeah. Uh, so I think the overarching theme here is don't expect too much from the Indians. But if they win the division and are able to make a little bit of noise in the playoff, don't be surprised if they suddenly become buyers late. That, that's really what I'm thinking. It's It could very well be possible. I like, though, as far as where they po- are currently positioned, I like what the Cleveland management is thinking. I like their thought process here because they've they've looked at their situation and I think they're making the right call with where they are. As you said, in another division, this wouldn't work. But I think this strategy is viable in the American League Central the way it is right now. Yeah. So good good on you guys. We'll see if uh, we'll see if you're there in October again uh, this year. It's very possible. But I think that's all I have for the Cleveland Indians. So there concludes our AL Central, aka the worst division in baseball preview. That's right. Not saying we called it ahead of time, but. Next week, we're doing the National League East. 
How convenient. Let's talk more Bryce Harper. I know. Exciting, right? The, yeah, the, so excited I don't have words for it. Yeah, oh, boy. yeah, pretty much. Well, the good news is that at least we, we have to take that into our evaluation. So when we're looking at the Philadelphia Phillies, we have to take into account that Bryce Harper is going to be part of that team now. Correct. It is something that will alter the composition a little bit. It will have some kind of a, a factor, most likely. So it'll be the National League East coming up on next week's podcast, followed by us finishing it off with the American League East coming close to home, where we can talk Yankees, Red Sox, Blue Jays, I suppose, and uh, the other teams. I really don't want to talk about uh, Tampa Bay, uh, Baltimore. Uh, Nobody wants to talk about Baltimore, Carlos. No bueno. No, talk about Baltimore. No bueno. It's not going to work. We'll get to that when we get there. And then right after that, that'll be that'll time us out beautifully because the first uh, regular season game will actually be on March the 20th this year. So timing-wise, it works out beautifully. So as far as that's concerned, I think that covers the main topic. What are you looking forward to this week? Okay, so apart from the things that we normally talk about, because we always talk about AAF. So I am actually looking forward to the second round or the next, well, not the, the next round, which is, I believe, the quarterfinal round of the CONCACAF Champions League. So I'm just going to go through the matchups for you right now. On Tuesday, we have the Houston Dynamo against Tigris, who play out of Monterey. Uh, that's in Houston. We have the New York Red Bulls playing Santos Laguna. Uh, that one is in New York. Then we have Atlanta United playing uh, Monterey, obviously in Monterey. And then on Wednesday, I don't know why they couldn't play them all on the same day, but they decided not to. You have the Giant Killers, and by Giant Killers, I mean they beat TFC, which didn't really look that hard. Independiente of Carlos's home country, Panama, against Sporting Kansas City. We're good at one thing. We're good at one thing. That and drinking. And it's We're not good baseball. at two things. We're good at two things. Pretty so cool. drug drug trading and uh, no, soccer, drink, no drinking and soccer. Okay, so three things. We're good at three things. You know, like if you want to do the Monty Python joke, we're also good at money laundering, allegedly. We're good at four things. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Uh, Google the Panama Papers if you want to figure out what I'm referring to there. Go ahead. Yeah, so I think that's that's the big thing that I'm I'm looking forward to. I'm also going to look forward to the Raptors that I always. I mean, I don't necessarily single out specific games that I'm really looking forward to. However, they are playing the Houston Rockets at home, like in Toronto on Tuesday night. So I think that's something to look forward to. But the, you know, the NBA season, we're not there yet, but it's, it feels like it's, you know, we're getting into the home stretch there. And then now that it's March, I wouldn't say I'm really looking forward to this this week, but March Madness is going to start up in college basketball, which is really the only time that I pay attention to college basketball, uh, you know, which is like a week, a week and a half that I actually pay attention to the sport. So that's going to start up soon. And I, I will look forward to that. I think that's fair. March Madness is a good one that uh, I think gets a lot of people into it. March Madness works every year because of the brackets, you know, the opportunity for different people in office pools to randomly throw together teams. I'm like Gonzaga, you say? Oh. So really what you're saying is you like it because of the degenerate gambling. The thing is, I actually historically don't even like it. I, it's funny because I've never – I've participated in a handful of them over the years, but it's never been that interesting. I don't mind degenerate gambling, by the way, gamble responsibly, you know, just saying. You know, we joke about it, but I, I play with money I can afford to lose and not care. That's And that's how you should do it. I like the office pools conceptually. The problem is genuine – I don't really like playing a game where I genuinely am operating from a state of total ignorance. I know of Gonzaga. I know of Duke. I know of these t of these different uh, schools. I couldn't tell you one damn thing about a single one of them. I know they're playing basketball, and I know it's a tournament, a not single knockout. I know that. I couldn't tell you it's any good, and I and it's one of those things like it's just guessing. It's taking numbers and going like, look, just pick the higher seeded team. 
And it's very possible you could do well just doing that. There's no yeah. skill involved in that. I'm not saying what's the point because lots of people enjoy doing it. And if you enjoy doing it, go for it. And if you win some money, congratulations. It's not quite the same for me. It is something definitely that's going to be good in March. I will throw in for myself. UFC 235 is coming up on Saturday. I'm going to try to have this up Friday evening or early Saturday. So if you hear it around those times, John Jones will be taking on Anthony Smith, Lionheart Anthony Smith versus John Bones Jones. So that'll be your main event for the light heavyweight title. Tyron Woodley is going to be taking on in the welterweight title fight against Kamaru Usman, the Nigerian nightmare. Very dramatic. You actually have Tisha Torres on the main card as well. Right now, she, I think she's trying to work her way back up the rankings in order to try to get another title shot. She'll be taking on Weili Zhang. She is 17-1. and one. That should be an interesting fight. Cody Garbrandt is going to be on the main card as well. What I like actually about it is if you go to the UFC page and look up some of these uh, some of these matchups, Cody Garbrandt is shown on there hold ha- with the championship belt that he lost. So the picture still shows him with the title, even though it's not a title fight. I like it. So I think that fits into Cody Garbrandt's uh, nickname there. It says, Cody Garbrandt, no love. It's like, they didn't love you enough to take a new picture. Yikes. Speaking of White Sox, dang. <laughs> that, that hurts my feelings. It has nothing to do with me. Anyway, so the undercard will be on TSN here in Canada. I think ESPN in the United States. As usual, UFC cards are usually pretty good. Uh, you know, there have been some exceptions. Really, only one recently. For the most part, they've been pretty solid. As well, looking forward to the AAF. And that takes us to the end of the podcast. But before we go, we'd like to do a couple of shameless plugs. And I actually wrote it down this time to make my life easier. So you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. If you're listening to us, obviously you've found one of them. There We are also on YouTube where that is available. You can find us as Unnecessary nonsense pod you can search for that and you'll find it we're also on instagram is unnecessary podcast altogether twitter is unnecessary underscore pod and if you want to just see our site directly it's unnecessary pod.podbean.com and that concludes another episode of the unnecessary nonsense podcast thank you for listening and we will see you next time adios